welcome to Asbury Pod. This week, we talked to longtime Asbury Park resident and Asbury historian Tommy DeSeno, where we learned that Asbury Park was the training center for world heavyweight boxing champions, that there was an opera house, and that Stephen Crane liked to tweak Asbury Park founder James Bradley's nose in print, which is something I think we can all get behind. Welcome, Tommy. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. Welcome, welcome, Asbury Pod listeners. We are taping today on September 25th. I have to be mindful of time because I'm on my way to Atlantic City for a poker tournament that I'm going to lose 200 bucks in, but I'm going to go play. Wouldn't it be cheaper just throw the 200 bucks on your front lawn and just leave it there? <laughs> it would not only be cheaper, it'd be less stressful. That's what I mean. You didn't um, have to drive anywhere. I would have to drive anywhere. And the Borgata, I don't know if you gamble at all, Tommy, but the Borgata takes um, poker extremely seriously. Absolutely. You know, are, they don't play. I'm they familiar are not with playing. the parker, poker room there. Yeah, yeah. It's I get anxiety. I'm not a pill popper, but if I was, I would be popping Xanax left and right before I go. But I don't. I, and I can't drink because that makes you make very well. One, I'm on a break from drinking. But yet, besides that, the poor decision making you make when you're drinking and playing poker is evident the minute. Um, I sit down with somebody who's been yeah. drinking. Well, the same the same voice that alcohol tells you that you're a great dancer also tells you that you are a great poker player. And oh. in both cases, it's usually wrong, right? Um, so we are here with Tommy DeSano. And I have to, well, one thing I wanted to say, Tommy, you're probably one of the few people, and I'm going to let you do an intro, and then I'm going to ask you, that we've had that's a practicing attorney, mm. which I always find interesting because I would not be a practicing attorney if I could go back and do it again. Um, so I'm always curious if other people find this career more rewarding than I do. But anyway. uh, no, I, no, I don't. I would not be doing this if I could <laughs> if I could go talk to my 20 something year old self. Uh, I would not be doing this, nor would I, um, <laughs> nor would I. So uh, I, I don't know what to do with that. But it's funny that you feel the same way. Well, I are, there, are there I mean, the question for both of you, are there attorneys who like their job? I, I hear this a lot from attorneys that they don't. I don't, like I don't know. I don't know any. <laughs> I had a bunch here yesterday for a party. I didn't. None of them do. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about it. But yet we keep 
putting like, so we have a couple, we have an opening at my job and we get like 20 or 30 applicants because all of these people are going to law school and want to be an attorney. And then, you know, we hire them and within a year and, and listen, we do legal service work. So it's, it, it can be a little emotionally draining mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, band-aids, you know, not long-term fixes, um, more, more band-aid approach. And um, anyway, I'm always baffled at the number of applicants to, um, to practice law. But anyway, listen, we're digressing, Tommy, and I need you to do an intro and we got to start going into Asbury Park. (laughs) Okay. So um, I'm Tommy DeSeno, but any pronunciation of the last name is fine. DeSeno, DeSarno, DeSento, DeSenio, because I think I say DeSano. I I think I've called you DeSano for yeah, and the Jacobson, 20 years we've known Dan, each other. And Dan Jacobson says DeSano, which is probably the most prominent. But uh, so it's it, it's all fine. It's six letters and no one can say it. <laughs> um, so uh, I am uh, I'm third generation Asbury Park. I'm, and what's interesting is both sides of my family. So my parents were raised in Asbury Park. My grandparents were here. Uh, one side of my family goes is in the census in Asbury Park in the 1800s. So right, right from the beginning. Right from the and then um, my uh, my grandfather on my fa- uh, father's side, he emigrated from Sicily uh, in 1923. I think it was right from Sicily to Asbury Park. So we were here for over 100 years on on both sides of our. Well, family. hold on on that. So yeah. how do you go f- like. How do you go from Sicily to Asbury Park? Like you've heard of it, or <laughs> it's a good question. The the um back then when you when you emigrated, you had to have a sponsor, um, and the sponsor was responsible for filling out some paperwork that guaranteed you had employment and a place to stay and things like that. And if um when my grandfather came, he was sponsored by uh, the Napolitani family. You know John Napolitani, the uh, Board of Education, uh, what is he, president of the teachers union there in Asbury, his family sponsored my grandfather to come over. And I have the documents from uh, Ellis Island uh, that shows the ship my grandfather came over on. He's on the manifest and uh, Napolitani's the next name with him. So he actually escorted him over and they already were living in Asbury Park. So uh, they were from towns that were close to each other. Uh, my grandfather actually was in Sicily. That was my grandmother. My grandfather was a little a little town near Naples called Seviano. Um, but the Napolitanis were in, from a similar small town near there. So they knew each other and they sponsored us to come to America. So we John and I like to joke. Um, uh, people are people are still mad at him for that because now I'm here. <laughs> um wow i had no idea it's generational you're, you're, guilt right there <laughs> and your families when one joe we should also have uh john napolitani is a total character we should have him on the show at some point sure um but i had no idea that your yeah. families went uh, n- i mean i knew you were friends obviously and, and yeah. there seems to be a real camaraderie with um the old-time italians in asbury park yeah that's so. a lot of what i what i wanted to talk about today so so that's kind of the background of the family as for me you know i was born and raised there and graduated the high school in 82 um uh, I, um, you know, my first jobs in Asbury, I was my very first one was as a little kid when the WWF wrestling was here. I was oh a kid God. that would I would take their the, the, the when the guy would take off his cape uh, and throw it out of the ring when he was introduced, I would take the capes and bring them back into the uh, uh, into the backstage at convention hall. The reason why I got that job is, you know, I grew up across the street from Eugene Dello. His father was the local WWF promoter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to meet all the all the all the big wrestlers that were here in Asbury then Bruno San Martino, Andre the Giant, Haystack mm-hmm. Calhoun. So that was my first job. And then my second well, hold job. Hold on, I have to yeah. say one thing to listeners. Uh Eugene Dello's family is like an institution in Asbury Park. Absolutely. He's a long, long time mm-hmm. police officer of yeah. And and yeah, we grew up across the street from each other. And his, uh, he has twin brothers that everybody knows in as Carmen and Joey. Yeah. And um, so I just was going to ask, how old are you when you're doing this with the capes? Oh, too young to have a, a permit to work. Uh, this was okay. just Billy Dello rounding up local neighborhood kids and saying, hey, I need you tonight. And of course, we got to meet all the wrestlers. So everybody wanted to do it. Who's and, the wrestler uh, from Asbury Park? Is that Bam Bam, Bam Bigelow? Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he actually grew up in Neptune, but he lived a lot of his adult life in Asbury. And he was a character. And he, of course, you know, he's another guy that, quote, put us on the map in, in a different respect than other people have because he was billed, you know, from Asbury Park. And you can go on YouTube and look up his uh, there's a there's a nice montage of his stuff. His closing uh, move that he would beat people with was called the greetings from Asbury Park. So it's, oh, fun. it's fun when you look at the old videos of him wrestling on TV and, you know, you hear the announcer say, here it comes, the greetings from Asbury Park. And he would do this you know crazy flying move. Um, so this so, WWF stuff, Tommy, this is like in the eight, well, well, well before my time. So this is in the early 80s. No, I'm 59. So when I was doing this, this was in the early 70s. This is in the early 70s. OK, right. I do and, feel like Asbury has ties to WWF and absolutely. I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, yeah. And they and they and we'll talk later about all the ties they have to boxing. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about today was Asbury sure. Park oh. was first in a lot of things with boxing. So was there boxing so, at convention hall? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's even, even a championship bout. Um, but a lot of the fighters trained here. And uh, yeah, I go into that a little bit. But um, yeah, so then my my other jobs are like I was head locker boy down the beach in the late 70s. Um, I interned in Asbury, you know, at college and City Hall. And uh, my office was there for a very long time. I was on a lot of the different boards back then. Uh, the uh, spring, um, what do you call the Fourth of July parade committee? I was on the UEZ board um, and a few others. So I, uh, I helped found the uh, uh, Merchants Guild with Don Stein um, back then. And that's still extant in some measure. It's a part of the Chamber of Commerce. I think it's a it's a piece of it. Um, so I have in my notes to ask you about this, if we're talking about boards, just so I don't forget yeah. for later, uh, the Historical Museum. So yes. we've had I mean, we've had a ton of uh, we've had um, Asbury Park Rising. We've had Asbury Park Museum. We've had. Um, oh, God, Jen Sauter is going to kill me. What's the name of hers? Asbury, uh, the AMP. AMP, AP, AMP. And every single person talks about an Asbury Park Museum. And you have opened Asbury Park Historical Museum. I, I did. Uh, and first of all, I, I love all those uh, endeavors that you just said, uh, talked about. You know, Kay's great with all of mm-hmm. her historical stuff and, and the rest. What had happened was I've been collecting Asbury memorabilia uh, as a hobby. And, and, and John Moore, the mayor, can tell you, you know, he's even given me some stuff for my collection. So when I had my he office, won't come on the show, he won't come, <laughs> he, no joke. He won't yeah. come on the I, fucking show. I, I, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> um, but, but uh, so I have a large collection of Asmir memorabilia. And when I had my office opened in the press building, I had uh, Jules Plangier's old office. So it was a big space. There was about eight or nine different rooms. So what I did was I I took a lot of my old Asbury park memorabilia and I made my office a museum. And it was a free museum. It was advertised. People could come and people did in the middle of the day. They would come up and, and I had all kinds of things framed from from photographs to old postcards and uh, some some family things, stuff like that. And I used to, you know, give people tours of that. But then it extended to I started giving people tours of the downtown 
because, you know, in the early 2000s, there was only a handful of us. And the idea was still when you opened your store downtown, people would say, what are you crazy? You're going to open up in Asbury. I mean, there was nothing going on. So to help get people coming down there, I used to close my office every Friday and give tours. So we'd start with my, you know, Asbury Park Historical Museum. And then I'd give tours. And then I would also give do speaking engagements for social clubs who want to know the history of Asbury and things and that were going on. And what's the tour? On. You just walk in Cookman? I basically took them into every single store, um, which was about six. <laughs> I was going to say, what was open? <laughs> the, the okay. all, you know what? It was, it was, Mr. Fashion and four other. Mr. Fashion was Sunny's. open. Um, Sunny's was probably open. Sunny's, Sunny's, which was a great place. I, I loved Sunny's. I love the, I used to have to bring home for my wife the, uh, the pie uh, that he made. I forget. He also a mac and cheese that was to die right. for. So, so yeah. And then um, Kiki uh, and Diane Kay had, uh, had a little store there. There was wish you were here. Um, uh, I forget the owner's name of that. Um, and then um, Billy. Wish Meister. you were here. Why is that ringing? Bill yeah. Tony, too? Tony started with an F it was him and his oh. partner. I forget. Chris Sanchez had a little store. Uh, open on the corner, and then uh, Billy Meish, of course, and Alan and Susie. And my, one of my favorites, right? Right. Well, one of my favorite stories is, you know, I would get like a lot of like, you know, church ladies, things like that, that would call me and say, "Hey, can we have a tour?" And I was bringing this one group of church ladies around, and I get to Alan and Susie's, the door's locked, and Alan goes like this, and 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 he comes over, and he opens the door, he says, "Just come in for one second and he and he goes. I'm smoking pot in here. I don't know if that's going to offend them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I don't think it will. And we went yeah. in. So, you know, the tours were brief and they were quick, but that was what was behind the museum. And and the end of the museum came. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I had gotten robbed. Um, the they the a very professional thief who Carl uh, uh, Mr. Fashion had told me that had robbed him many times in the past. He opened me up on a Friday night. And he was smart enough to disable my alarm system. And my secretary comes in on Monday morning and she calls me and says, did we move? I said, what do you talk about? She says, everything's gone. The, the computers were gone. The furniture was gone. Oh my and God. Most of my memorabilia was gone. And um, I recovered some of it. Uh, they did arrest the guy. He had 56 prior arrests for burglaries in Asbury Park. Um, spent most of his life. He got a nice thick sentence for what he did to me. He actually got, they got a seven year sentence uh, when they, when they finally prosecuted him, but I didn't get most of the stuff back, uh, which was sad. And, um, but at least what I try to find a, a silver lining is uh, what a unique Asbury Park story. I mean, this guy literally came in and stole history. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, you know, I've tried to recoup and, and buy more things and make it as big as it was, but it's not, it's not as big as it was. And true to Asbury Park, he lost it all. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> it, it, it was gone. It, it was, and he got he got busted. Funny story. You can ask Don Stein. He got busted trying to pawn it off in Don's store, sell it to him. Don had sold me some of it. Some, <laughs> some of the items were things I'd purchased from Don. And so Don actually got all this information, gave him a check that he that he canceled later. And we able to we were able to get the guy's name and address that way. Uh, so, that is hysterical. So, so you had the first that. Asbury Park Historical Museum. Yes. I mean, I'm yes. confident saying that. That's great. <laughs> I, I love it. And well, the uh, thing yeah. about Asbury Park, you know, as the more Amy and I do this uh, podcast is there is no end to stories for you know how big is that 1.6 square miles yeah Once but that's yeah. with water with land it's it's a little more than a square mile yeah a square mile of like endless it's amazing how many things started here finished here hung out here yeah and 
it, it just never ends. We could, you know, uh, every time we do a new episode, we find something new. I mean, and how many stories do we get out of the sewage plant? I mean, the sewage plant <laughs> is know. the gift that just So somebody just <laughs> said to me, we're at, at, at Asbury Fest. I forget. Within the last couple of days, somebody's like, oh, I'm re-listening to your sewer plant story because I got to jump with the water. <laughs> oh, Joe Grillo. So oh, Joe's working like, for I'm, water. I'm re- he's working yeah. for the water company. And he he's is. like, I'm re-listening to the episode about the sewer plant. I said, okay. But, uh, but I can I could talk to you about some firsts in Asbury, some historical yeah. things that, and, and and one of the things that I'm that I'm really most proud of um, as an Asbury Parker, as a blue bishop, the the when we talk about, you know, the the city being segregated east and west. One thing that gets lost in that story is that while there was an east to west segregation, um, for sure, the west side itself wasn't segregated. The west side itself was always very, very integrated. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of the people that lived there were were um, not wealthy. So it was poor Italians, um, poor Jews, uh, things like that. I always like to say it was filled with anybody who couldn't get a bank loan. Um, mm-hmm. But but here's why I, I, I think that's important. You know, the rest of America was forced to integrate with the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Asbury Park's West Side was integrated Long before that, we basically led America in being integrated on the west side of Asbury. We all of our stores were right next to each other, black owned stores, white owned stores. We went to school together. We partied together. We married each other. And I'm very, very proud. And I think it gets lost in in the story of Asbury Park that the west side itself was decades ahead of the rest of the country on integration because we did live together. And, um, you know, the, I've been studying the census and I'm going to like do a little report for it. I don't know, probably just for me. I don't know who I'm going to give it to. But, um, it, you know, the, uh, the, the census only comes out. They only publish it 70 years after uh, mm-hmm. they, they do it. So it, the, the 1950 census, which I haven't been looking at yet, just came out this year. Um, but the, so I've been looking at the 1940s census and, and it holds up. And I, I my working hypothesis is that as of 1940, and this isn't really put in the history books, the west side of Asbury Park was primarily Italian. Um, and so I was well, OK, I got it. So in, in, so this is anecdotally right. I've not looked at the yeah. census. But between you, Jeannie Deli, Jeannie Dello, Salerno, I can't. All, everyone lived on third or off third. Right. So when I or, bought my house on third, every town was like, oh, I live two houses down but, from you. Oh, but, I but, all, but, but also the southwest side that we traditionally <laughs> think of as 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 African-American and, and certainly uh, a great deal did live there. Uh, my working theory is it was actually either equal or slightly more Italian by 1940s. I think it crossed over from what I'm reading somewhere around um uh, the Korean War, because there was a great migration uh, for for the and I'm reading a, a great book right now called The Warmth of Other Suns. It's about the migration of oh, yeah. African-Americans mm-hmm. going from the south to escape Jim Crow laws up north. So Asbury Park, uh, like a lot of northern places, became more and more populated with mm-hmm. African-Americans that were that were running from Jim Crow. So really, the crossover that where it became a, a majority African-American Southwest community is probably somewhere around after the, the Korean War, as the numbers go. Um, but it was like I say, all during those times, the integration. I mean, if I just you know, I was writing down in preparation of seeing you guys some of the um, 
just some of the little stores that were around my house growing up. There was there was Peluso's, Delitos. These are all little grocery stores, little bodegas. Mm-hmm. Peluso's, Delitos, De Rosa's, Riffesies. Um, you know, all all Italian owned. All and these were all on the southwest side um, because it was so heavy, heavily populated with Italians. And um, just to show you some of the, you know, the stuff that we don't normally see in the history books or, or some of the presentations about the history, we were so integrated. I know there's a lot and I love all the um, uh, recent uh, promotion mm-hmm. of the music from the Southwest side that, you know, the African-American music, things like that. But, um, you know, I, I there was two groups. One of them I had heard about before. One of them I just researched and to meet with you guys found out about. Um, there was a group in 1963 called the Integrations, <laughs> and it was three, huh. ta- three Italian guys and three African-American guys. Sam Adio had the Uniques, which was also composed of uh, um, um, black and white singers. Nicky Adio had a lot of Spanish singers in uh, in his uh, in his. Sam, Sam Adio was just at the Pony within the last couple of days. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 So they so. So uh, again, and I like to promote the fact as much as I can. Um how integrated the Southwest was and, and actually the whole West side, because to it's certainly right to talk about the East West segregation, because that was real. Um, I would never, I would never downplay that, but I don't want to be lost in, in the history, my own personal history, my own family history. That was what, what, you know, the Asbury park, the word I use for it always is duality. There there's always two sides to Asbury Park and almost everything. And, um, you know, so even in that story, there is a duality. There was segregation east and west. Um, The east side was more monolithic, so to speak, as far as color. But the west side was very, very much integrated. And again, I promote that as a point of pride. I like the fact that we. And this is around the 60s, Tommy, right? Oh, way before that. Way before that. 60s and before. So 60s and before. Yeah. yeah. Well, by by the 60s, it was it was majority African-American. I'm going I'm going to I'm going to you know, if you look at the 1940 census, there's um, the African-Americans are about about 24 percent of the town. And, and and a great deal of them lived on the southwest side, but so did the Italians. That that was the in fact the remnants of it was the block I grew up on. It is Drummond Avenue. We, we called it. It was often called O Street because everybody's last name ended with an O who lived mm-hmm. there. Those the Delos, the Delitos, the Decenos, Del Pizos, Salernos. So yeah, the Sicilianos. It was you know everybody was there. Um, so you know I I just wanted to put that on this podcast because it's always a source of pride that I think it's overlooked. I love it when I like I said in my speech, you you had mentioned to me when I talked about Jimmy Bruno marrying a a gay couple over a decade before America made it legal. We we led the nation in that. Well, we led the nation in integration, too, on the southwest side. I like it when Asbury's number one. We're number one on a lot of things. And we led for sewer. We well, did. Yeah, we, we led for we, sewer yeah. stuff. We, we have like health. a lot of interesting yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, totally. so can I talk about the history of boxing in Asbury? Because that's one of the things I, I know we have limited time and I really wanted to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can talk about that. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So, you also have uh, to talk about the church, um, Tommy. Oh, I will. Just yeah. FYI. It's a so, continuing t- t- fight. Oh, and well, one I, other thing you have to talk about. Right. This fucking Bradley deed. Can I tell you, if I hear this fucking Bradley deed... <laughs> For, and why doesn't anyone have a copy of it? Like, why doesn't it. anyone I have, you have the You have a full copy of the I have, deed. I have the copy. I, I, yeah. You're talking about the deed for Holy Spirit Church. Well, I'm talking in general. It well, feels Bradley, like the Bradley, Bradley wrote, deed comes up. He, well, in the, he, 
whether it's wrote, waterfront redevelopment, whether it's the church, you, you name Bradley, it, Rita Bradley, or yeah. Louise is coming and talking about this alcohol in the waterfront. Somebody's talking about this Bradley. Deed. Bradley wrote every deed in town because he owned every parcel. So there's a handwritten deed from James Bradley to the buyer for every parcel in Asbury Park to to um, to the railroad tracks. Not not really. Some when of you say Western. that, what does that mean? He hand wrote a deed for every so, parcel. Right. So in other words, when when Bradley bought this parcel of land in 1871, it was just one big stretch of land from the ocean to the western bed of the train tracks. All that there was was the train tracks. Everything to that was brush going to the beach um, when he bought it. So it was just this giant patch of brush. So he bought that land in 1871. He then he then drew out the blocks that became our city blocks. And he incorporated us as a borough in 1874. We were the borough of Asbury Park, not the city of Asbury Park. And and so he when he drew out the lots, he then sold those lots individually as people wanted to come to this great new resort that he was building. So for each lot that he drew, he drew he hand wrote the deed. Now, he had this favorite clause in all of his deeds where he would say no alcohol, uh, uh, some famous ones for him was you can't use this as a pig farm. You can't use it for industry. Uh, and it was several other things. So all the Bradley deeds have this same clause he hand wrote about all these things you can't do with the property. Most of them have gone by the wayside over the years. Um, and there's actually a law firm. When you in- say gone by the wayside, and again, you know, I'm bringing this up because we have people anytime right. the city does something that they don't like right. rightfully so or wrongfully. So they bring up the Bradley deed and I'm always right. like, could somebody get me a cup right. this well, Bradley the, deed? Believe it or not, there's a law firm in Neptune that is the holder of Bradley's interests. So when you want to do something with your property in Asbury Park and you say, well, there's this clause in the old in the old Bradley deed that says I can't I ha- you know, I can't do this or I can do that. I want that to be gone. You go to this firm in Neptune and on behalf of James Bradley's estate, they waive it. Mm. And now you've got a clean title over the years. This has been going on forever. So basically that firm just waves everything. Um, and so most of this stuff is not enforceable uh, uh, today. It's it, most of the things he wrote has gone by the wayside. So, so Tommy, you're saying I can open the pig farm. I've always wanted to open. You it. can now have a pig farm, uh, just <laughs> not next to Amy's house. I would suspect <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> She'll love it. I do have. Doesn't the county collect those deeds? I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Every yeah, if you go to the county, there every single property in Asbury will have a deed. You know, in the on the east side of the tracks, will have a deed from James Bradley, and some of them on the west side of the tracks. So, okay. Yeah. So, so, and the, and the, so firm. if I wanted to see a complete composition of all of the deeds for all of the properties, is that something I could see? It would take you forever because I don't know that all of okay. that is microfilmed, but you know, you oh, can interesting. have on uh, the clerk there, um, um, Clark Hanlon, and maybe she can shed some light on that. We did have her on, right? Oh, you did? Yeah. We had her on well, the, um, Talk about the vo- voting, but I think the deeds came up like the, you know she had mentioned. That's how. That's the only reason I know this that she had right. mentioned that all the deeds in perpetuity are stored somewhere in the county. Yeah, stored you somewhere, know. and yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're and they're fun to look at because they are handwritten by Bradley himself. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, so I'm going to give one example, Tommy. So Louise, so there's two women in town who've been here forever, tremendous historical knowledge, although they spend a lot of time busting my balls, but, but probably rightfully so. They claim that this deed prevents the development that you support that ends up being a huge um, bone of contention for people, which is the Bradley Cove development. So Rita and Louise are always telling me I need to review this deed in of that section of the waterfront that it wouldn't allow this development. Does that ring true to you? I, I, you know, you can, as a, as a fellow attorney, you can imagine, I don't want to say without seeing that. Uh, and, and so that would be my escape answer where, so I don't have to go on the record about that. Um, but, but, uh, but if you want to get me the deed, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'm never short of opinions. I'll be glad to opine on that. But, but, uh, but I could tell you, you know, in 1902 or three, I'm sorry, I don't remember which James Bradley lost. Well, he settled a lawsuit from the city over the ownership of the boardwalk and he his his power in town had been waning for a long time even back in the like 1880s there was something called the board of trade in asbury and asbury was mostly business at the time so the board of trade was very very powerful they really set more policy than the city council did at the time well eventually the board, board of they trade, elected Tommy? uh they were probably appointed and but they were appointed, you know, you can imagine it was the most powerful industry voices in town. I'm sure Steinbeck was on it and people like that. And uh, they they if you look at a lot of the historical articles about Asbury, it's the Board of Trade that had the power, um, not, not the formal power to pass resolutions and things like that. But they they had the political power to do anything they wanted. They were the ones, by the way, if we ever wanted to get into it, it's a longer story. They were the ones that caused the segregation in Asbury. James Bradley gets a bad rap for that. But if you look at the first 10 to 15 years when Bradley was in complete control, we did not have segregation in Asbury. We did not have laws against people of color being in the ocean or being on the boardwalk or things like that. Bradley wasn't the one who did that. So in his heart and soul, he was not a segregationist. Do you want to know what his sin was? He eventually bowed to the Board of Trade. The Board of Trade was the one that said oh, too many people are complaining about uh, people of color being in um, you know, the public spaces and things like that. So his idea, bad idea we know today, was first he tried separate but equal. He started to build things that he said, okay, we'll we'll still have these in the same, close to the same spaces, but we'll have a school for black kids. We'll have times that the black people can come and use it. We know today separate but equal is terrible, but separate, separate but equal back then was the, all the rage. It was the thing people were trying. The Board of Trade wasn't happy with that and eventually pressured Bradley into his biggest sin was to start banning people of color from public spaces and the board or things like that. But I always like to correct the record a little bit there. Bradley in his heart and soul, I don't think was a bad fella. I think his sin was he eventually succumbed to the Board of Trade's demand that their their tourists were unhappy with this situation. And that's how the segregation happens. So if we're looking for the boogeyman, it's that board of they're, trade. They're the ones who are writing the letters to like the New York Times or the, where yeah. the New York press were. And, and they're the ones yeah. dragging Bradley into the room saying, you know, <clears throat> we run this town. You don't yeah, sign off on this. And, yeah. and, and eventually we're have to do a show on just the board of trade. Yeah. Like and and yeah. And eventually Bradley was in such a fight with the city over everything. They sued him for control of the boardwalk. And they settled that case. It's a reported decision. It was 1902 or 1903. Um, Bradley took 100 grand 
and he turned over access, uh, uh, turned over control of the boardwalk to the city. I'll, so, I'll, so hold on, just for starting my a long history of uh, s- s- boardwalk surrenders. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> okay, so there's a board of trade, yes. and then there's also another board. Is there like a city council? There, board there is back a city. The there, yes, ni- there's a city 19- council. There's also okay. something called, and I haven't. You know, no one's history, historical research has ever finished. There was also something referred to often called the the um, Common Council. I haven't determined yet from my own readings if the Common Council was the Township Council or rather the Borough Council. I think it may have been. But there was definitely when they in right in the grant. I have the grant in 1874 when they allowed Asbury Park to be Borough of Asbury Park. They actually listed who the city council was in the grant. I have all the names. Hmm. Um, so so there was a, a governing body at the time. But the problem was they had very, very limited powers, as, as did many who got to be a borough the way they did. It's technical and legal. But actually, Asbury was then reincorporated a number of years later as a borough again, because the state passed a borough ordinance that gave borough councils more power. So since we we were we were put together before that law came out. Our council didn't have a lot of powers. So then in the 1890s, I think it was, they said this new law came out and Asbury said, let's reincorporate. So we now will come under this new law and we'll have greater powers as a council. So we were first incorporated as a borough, 1874, then incorporated again as a borough. It might have been 1880s or 1890 something. And then finally, I think it was 1897, we reincorporated as a city. Um, so that's kind of the trajectory of the township governance. Uh, and why would we reincorporate as a city? Just curious. These these statutes gave different powers uh, of governing to the different style of of formation. So borough councils had certain powers. Cities had another. Uh, they like they were drawn to the additional powers that a city might have. So they reincorporated again. So we're actually incorporated three times. Oh, wow. That's interesting. All right, Tommy, I know you want to talk about boxing. I do want to talk about the boxing um, and because it's a really fun and and uh, uh, long history that boxing originally started in America with bare knuckle boxing. And, you know, the rounds would go like 150 rounds, things like that. And the first you have record- to dumb this down for people like me. Tell me what does that okay. mean? Just without gloves. Without Is that gloves. What you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And basically no rules except don't kick or bite. Um, so, so what happens is they, they pass something. Somebody didn't the, tell Mike Tyson. <laughs> right. So they passed what was called the Marcus of Queensbury rules and the Marcus of Queensbury rules had gloves and certain punches you can throw and things like that. Now, the first ever fight for the first ever heavyweight championship of the Marcus of Queensbury rules, um, happened between, um, Sullivan and, uh, let me get to all my notes here. Um, it was a fellow named James Corbett. He was also known as as Gentleman Jim Corbett. Hmm. They had they had this fight, and Corbett won. So he was the first one to win a heavyweight championship under the Marcus of Queensbury rules. Now remember, heavyweight championship. And what champ- year is this, Tommy? Just this for is, reference, uh, uh, eighteen ninety two, September seven. Um, the back in the eighteen nineties, NFL didn't exist. Hockey didn't exist. Basketball didn't exist and baseball was just getting its feet. The heavyweight champion was uh, uh, a Paris Hilton and a Kim Kardashian all rolled into one. The heavyweight champ was the celebrity of the world when you were the heavyweight champ. 
Well, the funny thing is James J. Corbett had his training camp for that fight in Asbury Park. Um, he he uh, he moved here. He started training at what became Ross Fenton Farms over in Wanamassa that sticks out into Deal Lake. But he also had training camps here. Now, and he, where here? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, let me get to that. He, um, uh, he first started training within the Park Opera House, which was at Bangs and Emery. And then hmm. uh, he later on opened up his own gym. Um, trying to remember exactly where that was. It was somewhere else in town, but he loved Asbury Park and, and he decided to stay here and he moved here. Uh, he moved to Seventh Avenue and he got married here. So the heavyweight champion of the world who was known all over the world was, for all intents and purposes, an Asbury Parker. He loved the town. He lived here. He trained here and uh, he trained for all of his fights here. And um, another um, first for Asbury. James J. Corbett is also known as America's first sex symbol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google him. <laughs> he was a handsome fella. And, and because he was the biggest celebrity on the planet, he was handsome. He also became America's very first uh, sex symbol. He was good. Tommy, did you swallow the lead and say that Asbury Park had an opera house? Yeah, yeah. That well, you know what doesn't interest me as much. I collect that too, but I, I guess I'll, I'll be researching that as well. We did have an opera house where boxers trained. Yeah. Um, so, so um, he uh, he also trained at three eighteen Eighth Avenue. I'm not sure which there now. And he was fast friends with Mayor Tenbrook, so they hung out together and they partied together. But some interesting things with with him and Bradley. Bradley had certain sports he liked. And he liked running, swimming, things like that. Other sports he frowned upon because he felt they created gambling. And you know what a staunch Methodist he was. So he didn't like the boxing. He actually later on ran for Senate and closed the racetrack because Long Branch was taking too many tourists from us. Um, So he was a powerful guy. But he uh, so he didn't like the boxing. So he didn't really get along as well with Corbett when he was here. And James Bradley famously called himself the best swimmer in Asbury Park. He thought he was the champion. Well, Corbett uh, challenged them publicly to a race and uh, Bradley wouldn't do it. <laughs> he backed out. Um, and uh, but everybody, everybody really loved uh, uh, Corbett like all over the world. So he brought some some uh, notoriety to Asbury Park back then. By the way, since Bradley disliked boxing and didn't seem to like Corbett very much, what did he later do? Fan boxing in Asbury Park. Mm. That'll teach you to, to embarrass him in a swimming race. And um, ha- so, well, take me through this. For, okay, so yeah. so we have a world-renowned boxer, sex right. symbol, in Asbury training, and I'm assuming moving y- young men up the train for boxing. And right. then Bradley hates it. And do, right. does this remain for years and decades, or is uh, well, it shut yeah, down yeah. quickly? No, it, it, well, it, there's a long history. He shuts it down at some point, but he loses power pretty quick. Remember, by 1903, he was done. He's out of power in, in Asbury. So I don't know how long the ban happened. But there was... Uh, uh, there was actually the Methodist clergy started the anti prize fight league in 1894. And then it was 1899. The board of trade passed the resolution discouraging boxing. And if the board of trade didn't want it, nobody was allowed to have it. So it just kind of, it wasn't an official ban, but it went by the wayside because Bradley and the board of trade said no more where, of this. Where was the bout held? I mean, this is before the convention. Oh, no, no, no. They, they didn't fight in Asbury. This was oh, training. Just training. Okay, yeah, okay, this, okay, this okay. is where, where did they train. fight? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I think that fight was, I'm trying to remember uh, the first heavyweight fight. You got me on that one. I can't recall okay. where it was, but it definitely wasn't the, here. Could have been a listener, Some listeners 
listener, look that up and send it to us. Okay. So Stephen Crane, by the way, who's still writing for newspapers in Asbury, uh, kept complimenting James Corbett on his gentlemanly behavior. And I think that was a cut against Bradley because uh, Bradley and the folks also didn't like Stephen Crane. He didn't like them. So any reason he could find to disagree with with Bradley. What is gent- gently? What does that mean? Uh, his gentleman. Well, remember, Asbury was a place that had very. It was very well to do back then as far as the tourists go. And you and Bradley had had modicums of behavior for your dress, what you could oh, wear on the right, beach, right. things like that, and how you acted in public. So he he certainly um, uh, he was within all that. But he actually he got married in a cottage he bought on 7th Avenue in Asbury. Uh, Corbett did. Uh, that's how much he loved the town. It was his second wife and uh, and brought her here and married her. So he had so the heavyweight champ there. Um, the very first heavyweight champ was very much involved in Asbury. Uh, an, a later heavyweight champ called Jim Jeffries. Um, he won his title in January 9th, 1899. Also training facility was Asbury Park, New Jersey, um, because we started to get a little bit known for that. Um, there was a fellow named Tommy Ryan. Um, he had, I'm not sure where I haven't found out yet, but he had a, um, uh, uh, training gym and he trained legendary fighters. He chained, trained uh, Jeffries, Joe Walcott, Louis Furpo. Um, all of them trained in Asbury Park under these guys. Those three names I mentioned were all champions of the world. Um, wow. so, so we became uh, a, now there's a film out there of a training session um, between uh, Jack Dempsey and another fighter in Asbury Park. If anybody wants to have my fortune find that and i'll buy it from you <laughs> you know um, i never thought of asbury as a center for sports but in, you know in, in the course of the podcast i think i came across it in the 20s we were the center of like uh, we had the, the american champion uh velodrome cyclists live here the, yeah though and the wheelman it was a yeah. wheelman club in asbury and they had all the bicycle races here and things yeah. like that and of wow. course yeah so so there but there's more there was um uh, well, hold on, Tommy, because we, we have like 20 more minutes, but and there's two topics that I absolutely want to get to one in your notes to, to me that was really interesting to me. And that is an ongoing topic of interest for people in Asbury Bark is the waterfront redevelopment agreement yes. uh, dating back to the 1980s. And what where you intrigued me, because there has been a multiple theories as to um, why bankruptcies happened or what, what however we want to frame what happened in the waterfront redevelopment right your note to me is the that the real downfall of carabetta and you have to explain who carabetta is is the 1986 tax act which i have to tell you you are the first to put that one on my radar well th- we're about to bore the audience <laughs> and, that, and, and that's not for the first time so good <laughs> but that's that's why this is ne- never really told that much is because the story's a bit boring and i'll keep it brief so that, to try and make it unboring um when we had the the 86 redevelopment plan we brought in carabetta who was an out-of-state developer who was going to do the entirety of the plan which was 500 acres down the beach um, and and explain to people that was waterfront to that was the waterfront to Grand Avenue, but Basically. in different stages. He could do more closer to the water, less away from the water. And and that was these redevelopment plan we're still operating under today, by the way, which is why no city council after 1990 something is to blame for the current situation of stalled redevelopment because you guys didn't write these plans. 
I don't know how old you were. I'm going to put that thing. disclaimer on for every council meeting. Tommy. Exactly. It's so on your Instagram feed. Now. Right. Right. So, so what happens is, um, it, it was unfortunate. You know, a lot of people you always hear it say it was corruption. There was so much corruption in Asbury. Nothing was built. You, you only have corruption when things are built. You pay off a building inspector. You pay off a politician. If nothing's being built, no one's being paid off. So the idea that corruption hurt Asbury back down it, it, back then is, is a fallacy because nobody built anything. You can't have corruption with nothing being built. Um, so what did kill Carabetta's effort that led to his bankruptcy in 91 that stalled us for 10 years? We signed this thing in 86, right around 86 or 87, I think it was. Ronald Reagan passed the 1986 Tax Act. And to spread the misery amongst parties, it was promoted by Senator Bill Bradley, Democrat from New Jersey. So we got a Democrat promoting the bill and the Republican president signing it. So everybody gets a blame. I'm not being political here. One of the things the 1986 Tax Act did was when you have a, a builder like Carabetta who's building these projects and making them work and rehabilitating buildings, when he goes into a place, a new place like Asbury, and he starts to buy up old buildings so he could rehabilitate them, while you're doing that, you could write off your losses against your other buildings where you have gains. So it makes it attractive. You now want to come in and while you're fixing up old buildings in Asbury, the money you're losing while you're doing that, you're writing off from some other town where you did a bunch of buildings. So you could do that. The 86 Tax Act either killed or limited the ability to write off your losses on one building against your gains on another. So now you got socked by your losses. It also uh, had an amendment to the tax laws where a whole bunch of what used to be business write-offs while you're uh, fixing up buildings, they did away with them. So you can't write off your losses. You can't write off your business expenses. So suddenly the attractiveness of doing old buildings and rehabilitating them was a lot less. So what happens to the old buildings that you bought? Their values goes down. Now, unlike your home loan on your, your mortgage and your house, where if you pay your mortgage, you, they can never take your house. You're never in foreclosure. In business, there's another clause in those mortgages that says is that the value of your property drops below the loan. That's a default. We don't care if you've made every payment. Huh. We can now come take your, your place. So what else happened between 87 and 1990 in America? The savings and loans crisis. Over 3,000 banks went under. And what they started doing to try and recoup some of their money, they looked at developers like Carabetta, who suddenly their holdings were worth a lot less, and said, we're defaulting on you right now. We're taking everything from you because we're panicked because our bank is going out of business. So these two things emerged, the 86 tax acts, the savings and loan scandal, and Carabetta, which, by the way, Carabetta is still a company today, is still out there fixing up buildings, fixing up towns like Asbury Park. They weren't a fly-by-night organization. Here, 40-something years later, they're still doing it. But they had to run to the bankruptcy court because between the 86 Tax Act and the savings and loan scandal, they got foreclosed upon, as did every other developer in the country. And I saw back in the 80s this... TV guy who became president, who at one time had a lot of holdings, um, his company nearly went bankrupt for the same reason. 
um, because of the 86 tax act. So the 86 tax act is what killed Asbury Park's development for uh, f- forced Carabetta, the developer, into bankruptcy. And of course, the Connecticut bankruptcy judge didn't allow Asbury Park to touch its own beachfront from mm-hmm. 91 to 2002. And those were the worst years in Asbury's the, of all the decades yeah. I've ever looked at. That's the most troublesome years we've ever had because we were stuck in a Connecticut bankruptcy court. So everybody just tuned out because boring as hell to talk about. The well, Tommy, I don't, I don't know if that's boring because that, that does inform a lot of it. Because what, you know, when I first moved, you know, well, I you know, grew up in the area, but since I've been living down here, when we first came down, the board, the boardwalk was still undeveloped. And. We were trying to explain to a friend from Portland, Oregon. She's like, well, why, why is there nothing here? And it's like, well, it couldn't, I couldn't clearly explain, but she, and she kept saying, but it's waterfront property. I'm like, I know, but there's other things. She, and she couldn't get past that. She's like, she goes, no, 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 you're not listening. It's waterfront property. Because I've been all over the country. Every other waterfront in the country is developed except this one mile boardwalk. You know, right. she says, why, why here? And I was like, I couldn't explain it because, you know, who knows these two things that you just mentioned, right? These are not things that catch the headlines, you know. Right. They're they're terrible. For really, Carabetta gets demonized, Tommy, right. with the history of the waterfront. No question about it. Right. But he it wasn't his fault that these two things happened, the 86 Tax Act and the savings and loan crisis. And that's what killed him. It wasn't bad intentions. It wasn't bad business. It was uh, it was these two things that outside influence that influenced him. And it's a shame. But that's what really happened. And no, there was no corruption. okay tommy you also have to talk about the church oh yeah holy spirit church um which according to the to the diocese is no longer a church because they yeah you so one day we were texting and you corrected me so you know i'm not i I should know because i went to catholic school but i didn't really go to religion classes so you corrected me and said it's not a church anymore just according to to the catholics according to the catholic diocese it's not i mean it certainly looks like a church but Mm -hmm. but um well well, i think that's important to mention is because if it's not a church what we are left with is one of the most beautiful historic structures in the county it's just gorgeous you could not rebuild that today you couldn't even find the craftspeople to rebuild that today so from a historic preservation point of view an architectural preservation point of view it's an important building and um you know the 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 bad guys in all of this for me is the bishop uh o'connell and and the um pastor uh uh, Pastor Pastor Miguel over at um, uh, Holy Spirit Mount Carmel are now one church called Mother of Mercy. Um, it was Pastor Miguel who makes the decision to sell it and Bishop O'Connor who says, OK, let's do it. But the problem for all of us is they never told anybody. And and and, and they, you know, I might need to just do like 10 seconds, yeah. just do a 10 second history on this, how it gets in front of the planning board. Um, um, well, they're trying to turn it into condos. And yeah. I have to bring up the Bradley deed yes. brought up again. <laughs> right, right. Not, well, not shocking, I'm sure, to anyone. Yeah. The Bradley well, the, deed the, is brought Brad, up. Bradley deed's not going to have much effect on it. That was never my contention. That was the contention of Shore Christian Church, who also wants to buy it and keep, keep it in church. I, I don't think the, Bar- the Bradley deed has any effect on it. So this is a church on what's the address of this church? It's uh, Second, Second Avenue. Yeah. Second okay, line. and it's come to the council and to planning board for all intensive purposes for redevelopment. Right, and the, that's the, first, the most simplistic yeah. way for me to put it. So, so, Tommy, Tommy, for the yeah. Catholics out there, the diocese has deconsecrated the the church. Yes, correct? yes, it has, and okay. it, so it's no longer, according to them, a church. Now, what that what we feel they did wrong, they made this deal before telling anybody they were even going to sell it. 
They didn't give anybody else an opportunity to say, wait a minute, let me pay more. Let me save it. And uh, they they also won't engage. I mean, I I called both the bishop and I called Father Miguel. And the response was from a lawyer who said, you, you won't talk to them. You'll talk to me. And my response was, but what if I need pastoral service? Are you my shepherd now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not allowed to talk to my priest and my bishop. OK, so so they won't they won't talk to a sure Christian church stands ready to buy it and keep it a church. There are talks in the works that I don't want to ruin. Uh, that developer is talking to sure Christian church about maybe sharing the property condos on one side and let them have the church on the other, something like that. So there's there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm praying that that they can come to an agreement. And if they do and the city allows that, that that they can squeeze in some condos next to the church, uh, I'll I'll pay for the key to the city to those developers if they save that church because it's 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 a, it's a magnificent church. It's I mean, magnificent yeah, the inside church. the inside is from the outside you don't get a sense of the magnificence on the inside in terms of the architecture and the color yeah. and the design. It's really a beautiful yeah. structure. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I think spitefully uh, the diocese has been tearing it apart slowly inside, even while all this is pending. Um, mm. I don't know why they would do that. They won't answer me why they would do that. And, um, you know, again, I don't want to poison any wells. They are talking and I, I hope they can, I hope they agree to save it. Was the plan to, to demolish the building or the, to repurpose the, it? The first plan was to repurpose the inside, build condos on the inside. Yeah, that's the then, one I saw. Yeah. yeah. Then the second plan was to knock down the church, build, make six lots and build mm. pretty huge, sizable townhouses there. Mm. Townhouses that could be anywhere from four to seven thousand square feet. Mm hmm. And you went to Mount Carmel, Tommy. Right? I, I I did a little bit of Mount Carmel, uh, you know, not to get too personal about stuff, but I think I got kicked out of every school I ever went to. Oh um, so I did a little bit of Mount Carmel. Not as surprising as you think. <laughs> I, and I did middle school in, uh, in Holy Spirit. Um, mm -hmm. so, so very young Mount Carmel, maybe kindergarten, that was it. And then I went to Bradley School after that. I did middle school at Holy Spirit. Uh, two years at St. Rose in Belmar for high school. Um, uh, they say I got kicked out. I say I left. Um, and then I finished off in Asbury. And uh, so that's where I got my uh, diploma. I got to bring up one other thing, Tommy, because uh, it's just been an ongoing um, topic that when I moved here, people talked about bocce. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, and even the waterfront redevelopment agreement from 2002, don't quote me on this, but I feel like carved out like something for bocce because I yeah. remember reading it and being like, oh my God, this we, seems we, really important to people. The, bocce, bocce the pastime or a person? Yeah, bocce. bocce the pastime. Uh -huh. And and so the the uh, I don't remember the year, but the governor I think it was McGreevy uh, named us and did a resolution as Asbury Park is the bocce capital of New Jersey because in Asbury Park we would have the state tournament every year. And my my family's been in the leagues. We're still in the leagues. I just finished the tournament two weeks ago. Yeah, always played in the in the bocce league. So we had a we had we had. Uh, up at near the sewage plant, we had four bocce courts right at the beach that we always played on. But when we had the big state tournament, we took over convention hall, and built a bunch of indoor tournament and indoor bocce uh, um, courts and things like that. So we had, you know, we were, we were the capital of New Jersey for bocce. We had teams coming in from all over from other States, things like that. But of course, Asbury of the past being Asbury of the past who steps on their own feet started insisting that we pay for as much insurance as the canoe races. And our point was we have octogenarians playing in our league who have never drowned playing bocce. 
Yeah. Um, so <laughs> why, why are you asking us for all this money? And they wouldn't budge. And they insisted we pay them a whole bunch for the privilege of being the bocce capital of New Jersey. So we moved the bocce capital of New Jersey to Neptune City. They built those beautiful courts. They don't charge us a penny. And that's where it's been ever, ever since. Do I wish it was still in Asbury? I do. But that's that's how we ended up getting chased out. But we, again, Tommy, we skipped something. Canoe races. Yeah, I Asbury's, know. Asbury, <laughs> I thought the same thing. Asbury used to have uh, yeah. a yearly event. It was canoe races on the lake, and uh, it was it was as Which big. Which lake? As, Which lake? I think it was Deal Lake, and mm-hmm. and and it was as big as an event as any of the five Ks or anything like that. I don't know when it went by the wayside, but it was big mm-hmm. back then. Well, the more we're talking about this, I know mean, the, what the Yankees played a little bit at the Asbury Park High School, right? You know, there was uh, they, they did. Year. They 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 oh. trained there one year. Uh, I think I might have been in the forties, but some of the big names yeah. were there. And, so, Amy, can wow. we pass a resolution? making Asbury Park the sports capital of New Jersey because I'm wondering, like, done. what haven't we Consider done? Consider it done, like, Joe. bocce, cycling, canoe races. Absolutely. WWF. Um, <laughs> we'll attach the Bradley Deed to that resolution. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, but we have to wrap up because I have to be heading to Darn. Atlantic City. We missed um, so much stuff. I know. I, well, right I, I, I will say, Tom, we should probably have you back. We can um, do a part, to, a, a yeah, part two of Tommy's uh, history. And, and I know you and, guys both love history. I'd love to come on. There's a bunch more history I could talk about that usually doesn't well, make it into the usual conversations about Asbury's history. So cool. And by the right, way, Chris- thank you for doing this. It's very important what you guys are doing. I, I really think you're oh. you're documenting history and this should be saved. I hope you save it in some form forever because it's very, very important what you're doing here. Well, it's on the I Internet, so. so it's forever. <laughs> Unless I run for higher office. And then we got to start scrubbing <laughs> servers left and right. I mean, once Spotify put the NC-17 on us, we had to. Uh... I know it was episode one. I think I'm sure I cursed. Um, but anyway, listen, thank you. Uh, shared universe. Thank you, Tommy. We'll have you back. You know who else I feel like I should have on the show is is Henry Vaccaro. He's yeah. got a long history in Asbury Park. I got to. He knows more out. than me. Yeah. Well, they, yeah really? I mean... You think? No, you, you are pretty informative. I, I'd like to have one episode dedicated to the Johnny Cash fiasco. And like <laughs> well, that, that would be Henry Vaccaro yeah, okay. unequivocally. Unequivocally. Okay. Oh, I don't want to say I shouldn't say fiasco because maybe that was not the intention. But it, yeah, I'm not sure that you should say that is, either. Yeah, <laughs> you just made an enemy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Now, now we're never getting Henry on. Oh, well, um, uh, we anyway. can erase that. So. Thank, thank you, Tommy. Appreciate thank it. You Tommy, thanks thank a lot. You. Appreciate it.